Oh, gracious God, we are so grateful for all the gifts that you provide to us in our lives. The beauty of this day, the fellowship and the love around us, and for those who serve as fathers in our midst. And so, God, we ask your blessing upon these gifts this day that we return to you. May they be used to create more love in the world, so in need of joy and hope and courage for another day. And so it is in your name that we ask this blessing. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> There are two brief scripture readings for this morning's sermon. The first is from the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. The words, I think, will be very familiar to you. But the other is just a single verse from what's called 1 John, the first letter of John, one of the epistles of the church. But from the Gospel of John, Jesus said to disciples of every century, A new teaching I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And then from 1 John. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This ends the reading from the Gospel and the Epistle. May these words, which once transformed the disciples' hearts, transform our hearts as well. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of each of our hearts, be offered humbly and faithfully and lovingly. Amen. The Protestant understanding of lives of love and grace is related to the Protestant understanding of sainthood, which has nothing to do with perfection. But rather, the Protestant understanding is that everyday people, flawed, ordinary folk like us, can live extraordinary lives of faith. And just as the opening hymn reminded us, the saints live not only in ages past, but there are hundreds of thousands maybe millions still. So this morning for our Biographies of Grace, Lives of Love worship series, I wish to lift up two remarkable servants of our nation and our world and the good they helped bring about. You could say they were civil servant saints. Between them, between them, almost a billion citizens of this world have been positively affected. And they both did what they did because their service was grounded in their Christian faith. Both of them had a vision of the greater good for as many people as possible. And I tell you, you might very well, after you hear of their lives, think that they could be a model for our current government leaders. So my first civil servant saint, my first biography of grace, is a man by the name of George Marshall. This is the 75th anniversary this month of an absolutely game-changing plan for the Western nations, for Europe and North America. It is named after him and called the Marshall Plan, and it was launched 75 years ago this month. The idea 
was that this plan might bring about a peaceful era in Western nations following World War II. And it worked. The past 75 years have been, as almost all historians will say, the most peaceful period of the last 500 years in what is now Europe and North America. And the Marshall Plan was based on forgiveness and reconciliation. Many of you might remember that the disciple Peter asked Jesus the question, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus says, basically, more times than you can keep count. And then yet another parable, Jesus offers a sense of forgiveness and reconciliation even when the debt owed is enormous. Forgiveness, Jesus teaches, consistently is possible. And the Marshall Plan was based on that hope. The Marshall Plan also laid out what was at the time an incredibly controversial economic vision where the Allies after World War II, in particular the United States mostly, would help in rebuilding the nations whose bullets and bombs had killed and injured and maimed a million Americans. People were aghast at the idea that the idea that we would help those who were just then our enemies, most of us preferred to punish them. I mean, a million Americans killed or wounded? And we're going to offer them not only a hand up, but rebuild them? But couldn't our world even today, which seems to thrive on a cycle of vengeance, where what goes round comes round, or an eye for an eye, where revenge is sweet, couldn't our world use a dose of generous and inconvenient forgiveness? Because a world without grace, a world where we only get what we deserve, is never where Jesus leaves us. In the Marshall Plan, 75 years ago this month, was a human, imperfect for sure, but it was a glimpse of a vision of reconciliation and has led to the most peaceful period in the last 500 years. Marshall, before he was Secretary of State, also had been a general, and he said, by the way, I'm always going to be nonpartisan. Whenever he was a general, he never voted, cast a vote for whoever was running for president because he said, I serve whoever becomes the commander-in-chief. And so the newspapers asked him once, so, you're Republican or a Democrat? And Marshall said, my father, he said, was a Democrat, my mother was a Republican, and I am an Episcopalian. <laughs> Enter here our second civil servant and saint, Frances Perkins, who I tell you, your, her name might ring a bell a little bit, but she has helped over 500 million Americans. Put that into perspective, there are only 330 Americans living right now. 500 million Americans, including, she has assisted virtually everyone in this sanctuary. If not today, she will in your future. I promise you. Frances Perkins is a remarkable person and woman. She was the first woman to ever be in the cabinet of a U.S. president. She was Franklin Roosevelt's Secretary of Labor for an astonishing 12 years, and she fought an uphill battle in that male-dominated world, including being Secretary of Labor. The American unions were aghast that a woman was going to be Secretary of Labor. 
She served as 12 years, as I said, longer than any Secretary of Labor in our nation's history. But here's what she did. Maybe it takes a 12 full years to do this. She helped not only envision, write the legislation, but then she created the structures of the minimum wage, unemployment insurance, and anyone know the third? Social security system. An astonishing accomplishment. By the way, Social Security, as economists say, having lifted more people out of poverty than any economic program in the history of our nation. One Yale historian said that if textbooks accurately reflected the past, Francis Perkins would be recognized as one of our nation's greatest heroes, as iconic as Washington or Franklin. But she would also be celebrated for her faith. Frances Perkins believed that her service had an essential connection with her Christian faith. First and foremost, every month, Frances Perkins went on a one-day retreat to an Episcopal convent to pray. She wrote that she depended on her faith, a life of prayer, and the guidance of her church for the support she needed to assist our nation to face the enormous problems of the Depression. The Episcopal Church recognizes what a remarkable servant she was, and every May 13th in the Episcopal Church is the Feast of Frances Perkins. She's listed as public servant and prophetic witness for Christ. She suggested that the reason she worked for a minimum wage, for unemployment insurance, and eventually the Social Security system, all of which, as you remember in your history, were also controversial because some considered them socialism and others considered them unconstitutional. But the reason that she said she worked for all of those things is because she wished to, imperfectly, to seek harmony with God's will. To remember that Jesus said to love one another as he had loved us. She added, I know we will never do that perfectly, but we must strive in our daily lives to do it faithfully so that we serve the whole of society because, she added, every person is of infinite value to God. I'd long to hear that from civil servants today. Maybe one function of lives of love, biographies of grace, saints in their own way, of course is not perfection, but to make us uncomfortable, to push us a little, and yet at the same time to offer us hope. In the face of our nation's contemporary economic and political shortcomings, in the face of our sometimes weakening faith and languid prayer, I think Francis Perkins and George Marshall are to be, are to be remembered both to unsettle us, but also to encourage us to a more faithful world. To paraphrase one historian, their greatest contribution to our nation and our faith might still be to come. Because at a time when countless Americans are dispirited by our broken system, the examples of these biographies of grace, of these lives of love, may prove to be an unexpected gift to each and every one of us. First, for the renewal of our common life, and then 
to us individually as a model for our own Christian daily work and service. May it be so. Amen.